Good day, everybody, and welcome to Spotlight Mining. I'm Liam Hardy, and I'm joined today by Corey from Kanalaska. How are you doing today, Corey? I'm very good today. Thank you for uh, for inviting me to talk to you today. Uh, thanks for joining us in Vienna. Whereabouts are you based at the moment? I am based out of Saskatoon, uh, Saskatchewan, in Canada, in the heart of the uranium district here in, in Canada. So um, excited to talk to you today a little bit about Kanalaska. Yeah, and how's Saskatoon these days? Coping well? Oh, it's good. Yeah, we're coping well. You know, we've got the struggles of the world on us right now, which everybody does, but we're doing quite well here um, as, a, as a province, but also as a country. So, you know, we're doing our part to try and control this thing. So it's a sign of the times, but everything else is just fine here. Fall is on us and, uh, and winter is not far away. I was looking at flights this morning trying to get into Canada because we, uh, we work with a lot of people out there. I, I need to get to Quebec to do work and to BC. And you've closed the borders completely now, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> uh, not even with permits. So, Yeah, pretty much. But that's been part of the success story I think we've had here in terms of, of COVID. So, you know, it's, it's a hard reality, but it's one that we have to face right now. So it's, it's, yeah. it's fine. We're moving forward. As inconvenient as it may be for me, it saves some lives. So I'm not going to moan too much. <laughs> it's short term. Yeah. So Corey, um, hopefully we're here to talk about uranium a bit. We get criticized a lot of spotlight mining for ignoring it, uh, mostly because of my ignorance. Um, I don't understand the geology of uranium. I don't understand the economic principles. So maybe um, just tell us a little, about, a little bit about uranium. What are the main market drivers right now? Well, uranium is one of the most common elements uh, on the planet. That's uh, just the trick is to find it in economic concentrations. And um, you know, it's something that we're focused on. Uh, my career has been focused on that for the last uh, almost 27 years. I hate to admit that. But um, it's one of those, I think, critical elements for the future in terms of energy production. And I think that's, that's really where we're coming from. Uh, we believe the space. It's been down for a number of years now. No one's really wanted to talk about it. But that's changed in the last, uh, last couple of years at least as we start to see what the world really needs in terms of energy production moving forward. And there's only f a few ways that that can be achieved in terms of um, meeting the needs for the next uh, several decades and helping clean the environment up, at least the air. So uranium itself is a, is a special mineral. It uh, is radioactive, so you can use that radioactivity to basically boil water and turn a turbine which generates electricity and that's really the simplicity of of the um the nuclear generation of, uh, of power so you know the the trick again is to find it in economic concentrations because it is so abundant and that only occurs in a few places around the planet and in a few specific geological settings and one of them is here in saskatchewan and it's what we like to term the saudi arabia of of the uranium industry it just has a lot of uranium for very unique reasons. And um, you know, there's a number of what we like to call tier one deposits here, tier one being uranium deposits that make money at almost any price. And the two biggest ones here and, and among the, the top handful on the planet are the Cigar Lake deposit and the MacArthur River deposit, which are what we like to call the unconformity style of deposit um, in, the, in the Athabasca Basin. So that's what we're really focused on as a company, is trying to discover the next large uranium deposit that will allow the world to continue to grow, but in a clean fashion, not, uh, not using fossil fuels. Yeah, and the word clean is quite important there. I suppose uh, I was very uh, heavy on the, the green metals, on cobalt and lithium. 
Uh, and then obviously recently discovered that most of the cobalt is coming out of the DRC, uh, child mining, very dirty projects, and there's very limited moves to actually change that in, in the near future. So how, is, how does uranium compare in terms of production uh, and environmental cost? Well, you know, if you think about uh, the uranium mines in the Athabasca, for instance, where, where I'm from here in northern Saskatchewan, um, they're very small footprint operations. You know, when you think of these large uh, base metal deposits or even some of the large gold deposits, uh, uranium deposits, by their sheer small scale, uh, create a small footprint when you mine them. So that's, that's good. Um, but I think more importantly, the energy contained within that uranium is the real set-apart factor here. And that's when you think about the world needing to triple its uh, energy production from nuclear just to meet its targets from a greenhouse gas emitting perspective, it's shocking. And that's just within the next 20 years or so. Um, that's going to take a lot of new builds. Now, when you think about the uranium industry in general, you, you think about these large reactors. I think one of the real step changes coming are the introduction of what we call SMRs or small modular reactors. And these things, they're developing them in the US. They really were born decades ago out of the military um, uses or, or, or designs from let's say the 1960s. But now they're getting resurrected because you can essentially make them a plug and play type experience. 60 megawatt reactors, you chain them together to generate as much power as you need in any jurisdiction. And then when they're done, when you need to refuel them, you remove the entire modular reactor and you replace it with a new one. Very simple, they're complex designs, but they're very simple in that essence and they're very small footprint. So you've got a small mining footprint, you've got a small, potentially small uh, energy generating footprint. Even today with the large reactors, their footprints are very small. You're talking a few hundred hectares for the entire plant and that'll generate enough electricity for the entire province uh, here in Canada, in particular Ontario with the Bruce, Bruce reactor. So, you know, front end, small footprint, middle nuclear generation, small footprint, waste storage, small footprint. So that by design, just in the nuclear space, has a, a much lower carbon footprint than, um, than what you might, uh, might get with fossil fuels. And one of the beauties of all this is that it's a controllable waste that comes out. Uh, as opposed to blowing it up a smokestack or out the tailpipe of a car, and uh, and then it's it's there for the the atmosphere. So it's it's a controllable waste versus an uncontrollable waste, which is one of the unique properties. Yeah, and you, you mentioned uh, sort of locations there for for demand. Obviously, these small uh, reactors are great for developed regions, um, you know, remote areas of of Europe of of North America. I don't think there's going to come a point where we can install them in, you know, in, in West Africa and in, anytime soon, <laughs> or politically unstable regions. Uh, where are the main real target areas for, for expanding on nuclear energy? Well, expanding on nuclear energy, uh, you know, all through Asia. Um, China continues to build reactors. They commission three plus a year. Uh, they've got 50 ongoing to be built. Uh, you've got 500 planned around the planet. Most of these are focused in, uh, in, in Asia. Uh, you're starting to see builds now coming in, uh, in the Middle East. I think, uh, I think uh, Saudi Arabia just uh, commissioned one. Uh, you're seeing new planned ones potentially in Europe, but also in North America as you start to see the aging fleet happen. They realize that they really can't replace that with solar and, and, uh, and wind. 
So you've got some new designs coming on that um, these are traditional power plants uh, coming on just to continue and to keep up with the realities of today in terms of growth. Along with that are the small modular reactors, which are going to supplement that and maybe go into jurisdictions like here in Canada, for instance, where we don't have the need for a large reactor. But if we could put in, you know, uh, several, several plants with these, these SMRs, now you're starting to replace the fossil fuels that we burn here in Canada, which we have a lot of fossil fuels. We're endowed with that. But if you want to get away from that, there aren't a lot of alternatives. So um, that makes sense. So I think you're going to see it all through the developed world. You're going to start seeing, you know, different sized power plants coming on, uh, new builds coming on. One of the things I like to turn to is, that, you know, what's, what's going to be a bit of the catalyst here to get that moving again, because it has been dead for, for a while. And I think, you know, you just have to look at the pictures through large cities across the world with this COVID pandemic. And you see before and after pictures, and it took literally weeks to clean the air and people just stopped driving and stopped using so much energy it's fossil fuel based and that's continued and i think what you'll see is once covid passes things ramp up again the smog returns you're gonna find populations going we don't like this anymore mm -hmm. so what's the alternative and i think you're going to see a revitalization in the uh in the consideration of nuclear space in terms of energy production so i think it's going to be um pretty interesting catalyst here in the next 12 to 18 months as people start to realize this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's beyond just the market fundamentals for the, uh, for the metal <laughs> itself. Yeah. So that's uh, sort of jurisdiction for installation of nuclear power plants. That, that's the, the end, pro, um, end product, I suppose. I suppose that brings us quite naturally to the source. And we know Canada is a safe jurisdiction for mining. Um, some of the world's biggest mines, some of the world's most successful mines. Uh, and most of the world's exploration, uh, if you look at Vancouver, uh, is, is based through Canada. So what, uh, what do Can Alaska have uh, and what makes your project special? Well, we've been in this game uh, since about 2004. Uh, came in, got a very large land package, uh, some new ideas, some new technologies applied to that land, just ahead of the last uranium uh, spike, let's call it, in terms of uh, price increase. So I was well positioned. So out of that work, uh, we had a lot of investment coming from Asia, out of Japan, uh, Japanese partners, Korean partners. Um, it allowed us to really refine into our targets on some of these large land packages and focus. Uh, we still maintain a fairly large land package, um, but really what it is is looking for that tier one deposit, that true unconformity type deposit, which, um, which is critical in the Athabasca for a model. And uh, we believe we're onto that on one of our core projects, the West MacArthur project. Uh, it's got all the fingerprints of the style of alteration mineralizing system that you want to see with a large deposit like MacArthur or Cigar Lake. We just need to um, we just need to, to put the puzzle together. I like to use the analogy that we've got the tagger by the tail, and we're trying to find the body of that uh, of that tagger, which would be the the heart of the deposit. We have to remember, half of MacArthur River sits in under 100 meters of strike length. North American football field, it fits within that. And that's 300 million pounds of uranium. That is a world-class tier one type deposit at above 10% grade, which is phenomenal. It scales bigger than anything else in the world. So it's other than Cigar Lake. So it's, uh, it's a special place to be. Um, the West MacArthur project where we have drilled up to 8% uranium 
uh, in and around Young Conforming, the prime geological target, is only 12, 13 kilometers from the MacArthur River mine. And our partner is Cameco, which owns the MacArthur River mine and the Key Lake Mills. So we've got a natural synergy with uh, one of the largest uranium companies in the world. Um, they're interested in our project. Uh, we continue to work together in a very good joint venture, trying to move that forward and, and really find the body of that tagger. And you, you keep mentioning unconformities. That's uh, two geological uh, bodies of different ages uh, that are opposed to, uh, attached together um, later in their lives. What processes cause these to be mineralized with uranium? Uh, is it similar to copper gold where you're looking at fluids passing through? Or? It, it is really about fluid movement. So, you know, if you think of the unconformity, you've got, uh, let's call it very old rocks below. And then you've got uh, a layer of younger rocks above. And there's that time difference between them at that contact. We think of the Athabasca sandstone, which is the younger rocks, uh, like a sponge. Okay, it holds water. This was kilometers thick, hundreds of kilometers in extent, um, and it's holding water. And within that water is dissolved uranium. And most of that uranium came out of the sandstone. Okay, so it's been sitting there. So now you fracture the rock or break the rock along a fault zone from the underlying older rocks up into the sandstone, you provide a pathway for that fluid to migrate. And it carries the uranium through the fractured rock. And there's certain, uh, within the older rocks in the basement, there's certain rocks like graphite or the graphitic uh, sediments in the basement. And that graphite's required to reduce the uranium from an oxidized state to a less oxidized state. And when that fluid interacts with that graphite in the basement, around the basement, you drop out the uranium. That's the magical process, it's chemistry, that precipitates these large unconformity deposits. So without the graphite in the basement or some reducing rock, without the uranium in the sandstone moving around through faults, you simply don't form these deposits. So as that water moves through the sandstone, you create a large alteration halo. And what we're seeing at West MacArthur is the fingerprint of that large halo. And it is of the scale of Cigar and MacArthur in terms of intensity, in terms of chemistry. It's got copper, zinc, lead, uranium, all these other associated elements that move around with the uranium and commonly get deposited with it are all there and present. So you know that the ore forming process has occurred. The trick is where did that stabilize itself for a long enough period of time? to create these large deposits like a MacArthur Cigar Lake. And that's the trick. That's what we're trying to find. The first step is to get your drill hole into a high-grade intercept. We've got one that's 8% mm -hmm. already. We've got several others around 5% in the neighboring area. So we know that the potential is there for that high-grade, very, very large Tier 1 type deposit. And we have to remember, we're already on a mineralized corridor with West MacArthur. A few years earlier, Cameco and Arano, the French uh, uranium giant, made a discovery of 70 million pounds at 8% grade, just two or three kilometers on trend from us. The same rocks, the same fault, same structure, and we're on that structure, on that corridor. So we're on a mineralized system, and that's key. And, uh, and we believe we've got something special on the go at West MacArthur. Good stuff. So what's, uh, what's the plan this year? Uh, what are you doing to expand that? Um, where do you yep. take it from here? So we, we, uh, we did some drilling in the winter, but we got stopped because of COVID. 
uh, you know, we had to cancel our operations and keep people safe. We didn't know what it was going to turn into. Uh, we've got some sensitivities up uh, with the local populations there. So we wanted to be, you know, respectful of that. So we curtailed our program before we could really finish it. Um, but what it showed us was that we have a continuation of the, of the alteration mineralizing system before we got stopped. So what we did this summer, because we're not sure whether we should be working up there just at, the, at this point in time, we, we went in with a very small team focused on relogging the core and pulling it all together. Because we have a number of geologists looking at this. We brought in a consultant who's very experienced to, um, to sort of tie it all together. So we're just digesting that report now. It just it was just received uh, this week, actually, yesterday. <laughs> so we're looking at that, and that's gonna set up some targets, I think, for the next drill campaign. So the question is, what is the right time with the market to raise capital? And what are the right targets to go test on this project? And we have to be, we have to be also aware that West MacArthur is not our only tier one potential target out there. Uh, or project out there. We have our Cree East project, which is very large as well, same scale. Um, and it has multiple zones of mineralization already intersected on it, all of the unconformity style with very similar alteration patterns to West MacArthur. So there's multiple opportunities for discovery within our portfolio. And, um, and what we've been busy doing in the last few months is adding to that portfolio in anticipation of the market turn, which we're starting to see the signposts for. So, you know, we're aware of, of the recent discoveries by NextGen at Arrow, you know, another world-class deposit out there on the other side of the uh, Athabasca Basin, away from where we're, where we're working. But what it's really done with that discovery is opened back up the concept of the mineralization in the basement. I have a lot of experience at Evil Point, which is one of the, the uh, older or first basement-hosted deposits found in the Athabasca. Um, still unconformity related it's just a it's just been mineralized in the basement so we've been busy targeting that type of of um deposit style with our new staking and we've staked another almost thirty thousand plus hectares to the northeast on the same basement belt uh on the outskirts of the athabasca basin where this younger rock used to exist. So there's no reason to believe that, um, that mineralization can't occur in the basement of these regions. So we've been busy picking up the best ground out there in anticipation of the next market swing when we can go um, attack some of these with some, uh, with some spend. Now we're a project generator. So we like to bring in capital through partnerships. Uh, West MacArthur was a partnership with uh, Mitsubishi initially, but also Cameco later on because they recognized the potential. So we're successful in, in trying to bring in partners to help advance these projects. We're non-dilutive to our share base as much as possible, but we still preserve the opportunity for that success to be beneficial to our, um, to our shareholders, which is what we're into, which is trying to build value for our shareholders. So that's, uh, that's something we're very aware of, trying not to dilute, uh, to like dilute them too much. Awesome. So, as but in quick summary, uh, for shareholders and people interested in getting involved in uranium, what are your three major uh, sort of milestones that you're going to be hoping to hit for shareholders in the next, let's say, one year? In our next one year, well, I'm going to I'm going to go on two prongs here. One is uranium. One is nickel. Okay, let's start with uranium. Um, so we're we're going to be looking for partnerships on some of our projects as the market starts to turn. We're seeing that now, helping to move these forward. Uh, if the market uh, dictates that we can raise money to go explore ourselves, we, we 
could advance West MacArthur. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue to look at that because it has all the signposts of a tier one type discovery, but it's deep, so it takes money. So we have to be very cautious with our dilution. Um, we've got similar scenarios happening at Cree East. Uh, we'd love to bring a partner in there to help us move that forward. Um, and then, you know, we're always looking for those other deals in the basement, basin where we can either pick up land or, or help move things forward. We've got, got a couple other little things happening as well up, uh, up around the Cigar Lake area. Um, there's some claims up there which have, you know, they're a little more grassroots, but they're showing the right signs and they're on trends that make sense. So well, we're having another look at our portfolio. But really, it's about Cree East and MacArthur River, or MacArthur, um, West MacArthur, pardon me. <laughs> near MacArthur River, <laughs> yeah. that um, those are our two core projects in the basin right now. On the nickel front, because you generate the power, mm -hmm. you have to move it and store it. So part of that storage is really a nickel story. And you mentioned cobalt before. Well, that's an additive, but the core mm -hmm. of these batteries is really nickel. And that nickel can't come from, you know, um, lateritic nickel, which you find in Asia. You need the pure sulfide nickel, which comes out of places like Canada, uh, Russia, other places like that. So one of the main belts in the world is the um, Thompson Nickel Belt, just in the neighboring province to Saskatchewan. So during this low uranium price, we were busy picking up some ground around Valley's operations, uh, Brazilian giant. Um, and we've just brought a partner in, in the last six months, Fjordland Exploration. And they're going to help us move that forward through their option arrangements. So we're excited to get drilling there within the next, certainly six months, probably looking at January right now, uh, wait for freeze up. And then we're going to go drill some very, very high quality, untested geophysical targets, which have, again, the same fingerprint, fingerprint to the main Thompson mine, which Valet owns and operates out of Manitoba. Now, Fjordland, the interesting part of that story is that it's 30% owned by Robert Friedland. Mm -hmm. It was actually a conversation with him that got that ball rolling um, about a year ago. So you have one of the, the uh, premier mining individuals on the planet taking interest in what we're doing in Manitoba, which is, which is good. So it's, these are quality projects we've been, we've been generating and uh, we're trying to move them forward. And, and nickel and uranium go hand in hand when you think about it. Clean energy production, storage of that energy, just deliver it to the customer. It's, um, it's brilliant. Fingers crossed, eh, Corey? <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us today, uh, Spotlight Mining. Um, if you want to speak to Can Alaska, I'm sure you can reach out to Corey anytime. Uh, tweet, tweets are always popular too. So <laughs> hopefully you're on Twitter and uh, great stuff. Thanks for joining today and we'll speak soon, Corey. Bye. Thank you so much, Liam. Pleasure talking to you today.